0: So can you tell the difference between someone who's narcissistic versus a disorder?
1: Yes, it's, it's, a, it's hard, but mm. someone with a disorder is going to do harm, right? Okay. Someone with a disorder is going to, um, someone with a disorder is going to feel so bad about themselves, be so unwilling to get in touch with those feelings, they will make the person that's next to them or anyone that's around them
0: feel as bad as they do. I founded the BeWork Collective, a not-for-profit organisation that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together... We are stronger. Welcome to Live Well, Be Well. Now I've had a few weeks off because we've been recording our Live Well, Be Well series for Mental Health Awareness Week. If you're not aware, we've got all of our videos up on the Be Well Collective website and Be Well Collective Instagram, so do check them out. There's so many fantastic videos with different stories being told of people's own mental health journey and fantastic experts sharing great signposting tips on where you can get further help. Now one of these experts we had on is Dr. Louise Goddard-Crawley and she is a chartered psychologist and a mental health expert in psychology. She specializes in attachment theories and relationships and she came on to film within our latest series and during this we started having a conversation around attachment styles and relationships and one thing that was highlighted was narcissistic traits and narcissism. So I thought how fantastic it would be to get her onto the podcast and have a really different type of conversation to my normal ones on this podcast around narcissistic personalities. Now whether you're a narcissist yourself or you're worried that you might be a narcissist how can you tell or you're a victim of a narcissist maybe you have a narcissistic parent a narcissistic friendship or maybe you're in a relationship a loving relationship with someone that you think may be a narcissist then this podcast is perfect for you to listen to to help explore that conversation a little bit further and what you can do to safeguard yourself from it as well i hope you find it as interesting as i did and enjoy the podcast. Louise, welcome to Live Well Be Well. Thank you so much for coming on today. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm thrilled to get you on. I mean, we I met you at our last filming series for Live Well Be Well, which is coming out all through Mental Health Week. And you spoke so eloquently. But you know, so fantastically around apostas syndrome. And then we end up talking about narcissism somehow at the end and just realizing your expertise in so many different areas. So I just want to give a really brief introduction to who you are. And then I feel like I'd love you to explain a little bit more about your journey before we get on to the topic of narcissism today. Sure. So- and I'll try to make it not sound too narcissistic. <laughs> I think when you're one of the least narcissistic people I, I've met. So I don't think you have any problem of, of making sure you don't come across that way.
1: <laughs> so I am a chartered psychologist and I work in private practice. Um, I see uh, young adults all the way up through to, um, to older adults as well. Um, I specialize in lots of different things but one of my main passions really is attachment and relationships. So that means how you attach to yourself and how you attach to other people because it's
0: fundamental, it's what
1: we do in life.
0: Mm -hmm. Completely, I find it such a fascinating area and I think so many of my girlfriends and I talk about this a lot as well and I'm just, I'm so excited to be able to talk about it on a podcast because I think we spoke about this earlier last week but narcissism I didn't know what a narcissist was until about a year ago myself mm-hmm. um, and I think it's become a buzzword quite a lot recently but can you explain you know it is actually one of I think it's one of 10 types of personality disorders as a narcissist, is that correct could you explain actually what it is like that it is actually a mental health condition?
1: Well, it it is uh, classified as a personality disorder. It's in the DSM-5 and that the official uh, classification is, I've got it here, is to derive gratification from vanity or egotistical admiration of the self. The key point of it is that there is a severe lack of empathy. Okay, and that's one of the real defining points
0: about it. So can you talk about before we get into how we can define a narcissist and some people might be thinking, am I a narcissist myself? I might have narcissistic traits. How did narcissism come about? You know, how can you tell us kind of the story and the history of narcissism?
1: Yeah, I, well, that's interesting because I think it's we are all talking about it a lot more now. But I think we, we might all be a little bit confused about what is the difference between self-love and selfish. And self love and selfless or self sacrificing. So I think it's narcissism has become much more of our vernacular because of that, because of that confusion. Now, narcissism isn't new, it's been around for years and years and years. It goes, dates all the way back to Greek mythology, actually. And I think that it's been around for a very long time, but I wonder if we're talking about it a little bit more because of the evolution of our society. So perhaps in our or certainly in our culture, the hierarchy of society was ruled by straight white men, right? They had all the power, they had, all the, they had the voice, and probably some very narcissistic tendencies. But before, previously, that might have been rewarded and perhaps revered. But as we diversify and as we evolve, perhaps those uh, traits aren't as readily accepted anymore.
0: Does that that make sense? That really does make sense. I mean, I think generally in the environment that we live in today, it's quite easy to be narcissistic when you look at things like social media. And the word selfie is now very much known as a word, which, again, I think embodies a lot of narcissistic behavior. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm.
1: It does. It does because it can be a little bit unhealthy because if you're posting, you you tend to post perfect images of yourself, which means it's very hard to then live up to that perfect image. Mm -hmm. Right. So it can be viewed as narcissistic, but there's nothing wrong with us loving ourselves. In fact, to be successful, to get on in life, you have to have a little bit of narcissism. if you think about the baby, the baby is the ultimate narcissist. They come into the world expecting all their needs and desires to be met, right? But then something might happen, something might um, impair the development of that baby and it might get turned into a narcissistic uh, disorder.
0: So can you talk me through, there's not just one type of narcissist, is there? There's different types of narcissists would you be able to take us through the different types of narcissists and what they embody and what they kind of represent in themselves well i think we all know the very classic
1: narcissist so this very extrovert very selfish very uh, arrogant right we we all we all are aware of what that narcissist might look like but there's a very vulnerable narcissist as well. And you don't get to see that very often, but the vulnerable narcissist will present as very victimy, Right, so they've not done anything wrong. The world did them wrong. They nearly made it. They would have been successful if the world hadn't done them wrong. They can't take accountability. So in fact, that's really important because a narcissist doesn't present in therapy. A the narcissist isn't going to therapy they already know more than the therapist and there's nothing wrong with them. So the only time you might see a narcissist in therapy is if they present with something like depression, right? So the world, as I say, the world has done them wrong. But after a while, when you think they're not getting any better, you might start to think maybe this is more of a narcissistic presentation. Wow. Okay, so that's the vulnerable or covert narcissist. So we've got the classic, the vulnerable. Then there is the, this is a sort of a shocking word, the malignant narcissist. So it's a very dark
0: Mm. narcissist.
1: Much closer to the sort of psychopath on the, the scale of things. So a malignant narcissist, the rules don't apply. Okay, so they can cheat and steal and lie and they're entitled to do that. They, they're not quite psychopaths because there's something still at stake. Their ego still at stake. They don't want to hurt people around them, but they're still entitled to behave in a way that society deems as, as, as not okay. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that does make sense.
1: There's another really interesting one. And the, the way that it's described is the communal narcissist. Now, this is someone who you might at first glance think well they're doing really really important things in the world right they might be campaigning for things or supporting for things but they are talking about it much more than they're actually connected to the cause so it's about it's a a way of getting gratification it's a way of getting validation it's very narcissistic
0: Cool, that's so interesting. I keep coming back to social media, but I do see a huge link there with certain traits. And I I guess through certain people maybe showing that they're affiliating with the cause and then actually not really following through with an action. And I think that can be quite narcissistic. Well,
1: yes. And that's the, they're, they're the communal ones. They're the ones that are a lot harder to spot.
0: Wow. There's so many different types of narcissists. So, you know, on the grand scale of things, what percentage of people with a personality disorder would suffer with, with a type of narcissistic trait?
1: It's it's incredibly hard to diagnose because as I say, a narcissist isn't going to therapy. So it's something as psychologists, we're fascinated by because we don't get to study it very much. We can think about it. We can learn from the people that have been affected by it. But narcissists in general are quite un, untangible. People with narcissistic tendencies, let's say... In corporate worlds or even creative worlds, probably 50% of them have got narcissistic tendencies, but to have full-blown personality disorder is, is a lot more rare.
0: So can you tell the difference between someone who's narcissistic versus a disorder?
1: Yes, it's, it's, a, it's hard, but mm. someone with a disorder is going to do harm. Right. Okay. Someone with a disorder is going to, um, someone with a disorder is going to feel so bad about themselves, but be so unwilling to get in touch with those feelings. They will make the person that's next to them or anyone that's around them feel as bad as they do.
0: Right. Okay. And what if you, and, and, and taking this back, gosh, so many questions. What's the difference between a psychopath? Cause you mentioned that. <laughs> there's kind of sometimes an overlap and a narcissistic what's the difference between them because when I hear the word psychopath really my alarm bells go off I mean because that is an extreme end of a of somebody with a very bad chronic personality disorder what's kind of the difference between those two well the
1: the malignant is the closest to that but as, as I say there's something that's intrinsically Um, at stake around their own ego and people that are around them. They don't Mm -hmm. want to cause as much harm as a psychopath. Mm -hmm. Psychopaths are incredibly interesting. They're meticulous. They plan, right? And a narcissist might, in their internal world, want to do harm, but they might not go as far as a psychopath. They just might not obey the rules.
0: I understand. Okay. And so you spoke earlier about a narcissist not actually wanting to come to therapy because Mm -hmm. they've kind of got everything figured out but it's more the victims that are around narcissists that end up coming to therapy and probably how you know people like such as yourself and psychotherapists learn more about narcissists can we talk about how if anyone's listening to this And they are in a relationship with a narcissist, or they are, maybe have a parent who is a narcissist, or maybe there's a work situation that's a narcissist, because I think a lot of people always look at love relationships, but actually we can be surrounded by narcissists in different areas within our life. How -hmm. can that person who is surrounded by a narcissist actually protect themselves and realize that that person might be displaying quite heavy narcissistic traits?
1: I think that we sometimes forget that we have such an internal barometer to, uh, and instincts, right? We have anxiety for a reason. If we're around someone and we feel like something's off, probably something's off. If we're around someone and we feel a bit confused, it's probably because the other person might be sort of distorting our reality around things. We've got to listen. We've got to tune into ourselves because it's, it's the most reliable instrument that we have. Now I see lots of um, young people who come to therapy and they tell me I'm here because of a narcissistic parent. So the awareness is is really expanding, but the damage that's being done is incredible. They have a chronic sense of themselves, like chronic low self-esteem. They can't trust other people and they can't trust their own reality because reality has been distorted so many times by, by a parent.
0: I can imagine that if you do grow up with a narcissistic parent and you're aware of that, and I actually have some friends that I've spoken to who do suffer with this, Mm -hmm. um, but you want to keep them in your life because a lot of times when you read um, articles and research papers, they're saying you should cut the narcissist out of your life to protect yourself, and it has to be a complete cut off. And that can maybe work when you're ending into a relationship, but with a parent relationship, that can feel very hard. And sometimes you might not want to cut off your parents, and you might still want to have that relationship. So how can you actually deal with a narcissistic parent when you still want them in your life?
1: It's so hard. It's so hard, particularly if they've been abusive. So if they have been abusive, then probably the advice is you do need distance. OK, it doesn't mean you have to completely cut them out, but you do need distance, first of all, to repair. Right. So first of all, to repair the injury that's been done to you from a narcissistic parent, how you deal with it is all I mean, it sounds like a little bit of a cop-out, but it's quite individual. As I say, it depends on the severity of the abuse that's happened. But what we want is the person who has uh, perhaps suffered a narcissistic injury to not recreate that, right? A narcissist is probably a product of a narcissistic parent, but the narcissist has learned to shut down, shut down all of their emotions. Someone that has come to therapy because they're they're thinking this has happened has an opportunity to heal, to make this better.
0: Mm. And what if you're in a relationship? So what if you are in a relationship with a narcissist and maybe you're starting to realize actually I think I've gone a bit crazy or you know this whole distorted view can you talk about like the the red flags that might come up if you are in a relationship with a narcissist like how to spot one and how to realize that actually you're in maybe quite a bit of trouble in that relationship
1: absolutely and I think again that that first instinctual feeling does something feel off do I feel confused trust that okay because it's probably right you also need to look The interesting thing is narcissists are very, very clever. They're very manipulative. So at the beginning of a relationship, it might look like it's very healthy. They might want to know all about you. You might be made to feel very safe, very seen. But actually what they're doing is collecting data. Because essentially, this data is going to be used against you at a later date. So you need to look, is there a reciprocal relationship? Is it give and take in equal measure? It doesn't have to be completely 50-50, but is the other person able to meet my needs and allow me to meet their needs? That doesn't really happen in a relationship with a narcissist. Hmm. Another thing is the the mind games that they play. A narcissist is want is going to want to set themselves up as superior. So the only way that they can do that is to make you feel inferior, but it's subtle and it's clever. And they'll start by very subtly criticising you. So let's say, for example, you get some good news. I've got a promotion at work or whatever. That's amazing, I'm really happy for you. You know, it's quite easy for you because blah blah blah, blah, blah. Right, so they just find a way to slightly criticise it, but in a very covert way
0: that's really interesting
1: Mm -hmm. there's um the empathy thing is really important as well so if you share something with them that you you that something that's hurt you or something that's gone wrong are they able to hear you and empathize with you or do they sympathize and pity you again in a way to make you feel bad about yourself
0: and is there such thing as love bombing as well I read a lot about with narcissists
1: Yes. So that's the beginning part of a relationship. When they're, when they're inviting you to be vulnerable, they're inviting you to open up and share all your vulnerabilities with them. That's the love bombing part because it almost looks like a healthy relationship because that's what should happen in a relationship. But again, it's not reciprocal. A narcissist is someone who doesn't view love as easy or readily available. They view it as a commodity that they need to take. So if they see someone that's able to offer them, or to meet their needs or to offer them love and acceptance, they will take it, but they'll find very manipulative ways to get it. But they're starving, they're starving for it. It's like, um, this analogy may or may not work, but let's let's try it. So in this analogy, tea is love and needs and the vessel is another person. So a narcissist sees the tea, thinks, I feel really thirsty. I'm not sure where my next drink is coming from, so I'm going to take that because I want it and I need it. But once the tea's gone, they don't need the vessel. They just disregard it.
0: That really makes sense. And so... So in that sense then, why why do certain people get so attracted to narcissists? Or, you know, why do I think there's a lot of times when people can look back at their relationship patterns and whether it's a narcissist or somebody or some other trait, a lot of people that I know end up still going for the same type of person. And maybe somebody keeps finding themselves with a narcissist all the time. You know, why are people attracted to this type of trait, a narcissistic trait?
1: The, the, the really interesting thing is, it comes from the same place as narcissism. It comes from a lacking of self-love. So, if we go back to the tea analogy, someone who will want to please someone else will keep filling that tea. They will take all of their resources and make sure that that tea is completely full at all times, because they don't want to feel rejected. They want to feel worthy. So, if they can please the narcissist. If they can please the person that's sort of withholding their love, they can prove to themselves that they are worthy. They are lovable. Now, this isn't probably a new type of relationship. This will be a reenactment or what Freud calls repetition compulsion. So we repeat the same patterns from our early caregivers to try and fix something, to try and make something right, something that's gone wrong. But rather than deal with that, rather than deal with that early attachment, because it's very painful to deal with it, we try to fix it in our adult relationships.
0: And so how can you note if this is happening? I think you start to feel really unhappy,
1: Mm. really depleted, because you're not giving any resources in. You're giving them all out to please the other person, to make sure that that person doesn't reject you, doesn't discard you. Mm -hmm. Because that might be too painful. It might have already happened. Mm -hmm. So the, the best thing to do really, and what we all need to do, is to look in. We need to look at our own attachment history. We need to look at the what might have gone wrong. Some things will have gone right as well, but what might have gone wrong is causing us or compelling us to repeat these relationships.
0: And so when we decide that maybe whoever whether the narcissist whether it's a parent whether it's in a relationship maybe it's a friendship as well um how can we then decide actually this is harmful to us I feel like quite victimized in this how can we then decide to take that next step because is it true that narcissists won't let you go or kind of will find really manipulative ways of of kind of keeping you around you know how does somebody get out of that
1: we can't leave a narcissist they'll go to great lengths to make sure that they don't feel rejected as
0: well see how it comes from the
1: same place it's Mm -hmm. all about a fear of this lacking in love but to get out of it you have to break the pattern it it means you have to be really brave right sometimes it might take going to therapy Mm therapy is very much um, an attachment relationship but there's lots of boundaries set up in therapy to protect you, to make sure you have a secure and safe attachment, right? So, there's some, something about the therapeutic relationship that can help to repair the patterns of
0: relationships. That's really interesting. And what if that narcissist doesn't really allow you to move on? At what point, you know, we talked about gaslighting, we had a conversation earlier. You know, can we talk a little bit about gaslighting and how that's affecting you? Because that's gaslighting, again, I've only heard really in the last year. (laughs) Can you explain what gaslighting is?
1: Gaslighting is a way for someone to get away with really bad behaviour, but by distorting reality. So a very classic example is two people in a relationship. Uh, Let's go for a romantic relationship because it just makes it easy to understand. One person is having an affair. The other person suspects that this is happening, brings it to their partner and the partner denies it and accuses the other person of, of being paranoid, or being, of, of losing their mind. So they, um, the person who suspects that something is, uh, the other person is behaving inappropriately might bring this to the person and say I'm suspicious and the person who is behaving badly will distort that reality and make it your fault. So you are paranoid. I don't know what's wrong with you. I think you should speak to someone. Do you think you might be losing your mind? In fact, let me help you. Let me pay for that because I'm not doing anything wrong. So it comes from a play I think we talked about in the, I think it was 30s or 40s where um, in this instance it was a husband behaving very badly but he went to great lengths to make his wife feel like she was losing her mind and had these gas lights in their room uh, with dimmer switches on them and he would dim the the lights very intentionally and she would say something's happened to the lights. And he would say oh I'm really worried about you no- nothing's happened to the lights so it really gets you to doubt and not, and not trust your sense of what's real and what isn't real
0: I think that's I think over a long period of time then that must really affect the person that's in the relationship because would that then distort the person's view to be able to get out of the relationship
1: absolutely absolutely and it's another subtle way of knocking away at your self-esteem mm-hmm. you can't trust yourself you have to trust you have to rely on what your uh what the other person in the relationship is telling you because subtly and over an accumulative t- amount of time mm-hmm. you don't trust reality you know, this has happened from a narcissistic parent It's really hard as a young person, whilst your brain is still developing, to have a sense of what is real, what is right, what is wrong, because a narcissistic parent isn't isn't going to ever take responsibility. So an example would be, they might kick their child, but because they're narcissistic, they're not going to want to accept accountability or view themselves as a bad parent. So they might say to the child who's on the floor from the injury, you are so dramatic. I'm really worried about you. So again, the child is questioning, did, did that even happen? So so when that's happening to young people, it, it's it's really dangerous.
0: Do you think that the narcissist is ever accountable for their own behavior? Do you think never, they are? Really?
1: Never, that's a classic sign not no, there's never anything that's their responsibility it, it might be helpful to understand how a narcissist develops
0: yeah i'd love to talk through this how does how, how because i think after that i want to talk about whether some of us might have narcissistic traits or are worried from listening to this gosh am i a narcissist but how does a narcissist yeah, firstly develop, develop. well I think everyone has certain narcissistic traits definitely
1: shall we do a test yeah okay oh oh my god I'm so I'm so tired I'm sorry I've just got to remember what this test is how did you I wonder how you felt then when I was yawning
0: (laughs) I wanted to yawn (laughs) what stopped you I kind of did yawn but without opening my mouth fully so, so I thought that you were gonna my... really thought that I was then. I caused a bit shocked then that you yawned as well. <laughs> I was really that boring. Terrible,
1: terrible act- acting there. It's a it's a test because if I yawn and you don't yawn, you're probably a narcissist, right? You don't have empathy. You're not able to mirror what is happening for me uh, because you felt tired because you suppressed that because you're yawning now. That's a really interesting test. A, a narcissist, a psychopath, a sociopath, they're not going to yawn. They're not going to be able to mirror. They're not going to be able to empathize.
0: Wow. So how can we then, so apart from doing the yawning test, if someone's listening to this and thinking, "Wow, I'm on social media a lot or I take selfies or sometimes you know i i might embody certain traits of a narcissist how can people actually define if they are a narcissist themselves how can we look at ourselves and say am i a narcissist or not
1: i think if you're even questioning it you're probably not a narcissist a narcissist isn't going to be questioning it they're going to be thinking well this is absolute nonsense i know loads of other people that are narcissists but i'm not Right, but the, the key is: can you empathize? Can you attune to another person? Can you go into somebody else's world and think that must be really hard for them? Right, mm. it's, it's empathy. If you can empathy, if you can have empathy, if you can empathize. You don't have a narcissistic disorder. We all have narcissistic tendencies, but sometimes that's healthy.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you talk about how you can become a narcissist and how how narcissism appears? Yeah
1: this is the bit that's um really interesting because you're not born a narcissist it's an adaptation that happens so you might have a narcissistic parent you might have an abusive or neglectful parent so the child then probably feels very resented unwanted unlovable so what it does what it's not able to do is attach it's not able to attach to that caregiver because love and attachment isn't safe so what they learn to do is shut down right to have no needs if they if they if they need some a need needs to be met they will learn very intricate, sophisticated ways of manipulating their way to get that need met because they cannot trust that an, um, an attachment figure is gonna be able to provide that for them. So they shut down, they have no needs. It means in adulthood, they cannot attach to other people because the world is viewed as hostile, it's unsafe. But rather than them then feeling these feelings of I'm unlovable, I have shame, I'm... I'm I've never had an experience of unconditional love. They project out. They make everybody else feel like that.
0: And is there like a typical age that can start to happen? If
1: you have a narcissistic parent or abusive, neglectful parents, anywhere in your development, if you're exposed to this, it can cause an attachment injury or disruption it's it's very unlikely to happen later on in life if mm-hmm. you go into a narcissistic relationship or if you're attracted to narcissists it's because of an early
0: relationship if for anyone who maybe is listening to this and thinking i mean i guess what i'm figuring out now is that if there is a narcissist listening to this they're probably not going to think they're a narcissist
1: no probably not
0: okay and then probably they say- listen Yeah, that's quite interesting. Okay, and then I think if you are a victim of narcissism, your first port of call would be to kind of reach out for help. Is that what you would suggest?
1: I think so. I think to find – I mean, we have to remember that there's – they're going to feel very dehumanised, very belittled, okay? So reaching out, asking for help is going to feel quite scary. Mm -hmm. But being brave, being courageous, perhaps starting to look at therapy, talking to other people about it, looking at ourselves, looking at what might be being reenacted, our own um, attachment histories is is really the first step. I was just going to say one more thing about that, because I find this happens so much. When people go to therapy, sometimes they'll find a therapist who isn't helping them. But they stay in the relationship. So then the relation, the not being able to have someone else meet your needs gets reenacted with the therapist. You have to find a therapist that works for you. Otherwise, you're just repeating the same pattern.
0: So, do you think it's important that if you are suffering with um, being a victim of narcissism, to find a therapist that actually specializes in narcissistic? personality disorder or
1: attachments or attachment attachment. theories yeah so if you have problem with addiction go to an addiction therapist you know Mm -hmm. you have to find not just the right speciality which is very very important you have to find the right therapist for you Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know we're not going to just attach to everyone that we meet there has to be the right chemistry
0: yeah i think that's really important i think for so many people trying to look at therapy it can feel one really daunting because you can type in a therapist into google and so many different options come up some extremely expensive some very you know borderline kind of um you know normal rates and some very cheap they're all so extreme in what they what they do and what they offer and the different types of services that they offer you know mm-hmm. for you as a as a therapist yourself what guidance can you give to anyone trying to seek therapy I think, a, I
1: think a recommendation is so important. And if, if you're close to someone who's seeing that therapist, they might not be able to see you because, again, therapy is very boundary. It's, it's to keep you very safe. But that therapist might be able to recommend someone else for you. So go with recommendations. But also, exactly like you say, you need a specialist in the area that you're uh, wanting help with. Mm -hmm. you don't have to stick to the first one either so I always say to my patients uh, let's do a session let's do an assessment session first of all make sure that we are the right fit for one another because it has to be the right fit Mm. and then there's no pressure to, to stay in the relationship
0: yeah that's really true I think for anyone who is worrying about therapy, I think it's such an important kind of first step. If you are not just suffering with this, but suffering with anything, because it's somebody that you can speak to who has no no bias against anything that you're saying and is completely independent of those views. Um, But, you know, taking it back to maybe if you do go understanding a bit about narcissism is, is really important because I think you might. You might be listening to this for the first time today and actually something might have resonated with you that in the relationship that you're in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can take to get to quite a bad place in any situation that you're in, whether it's a narcissist or with any mental health condition that you're suffering with, to actually have that point when the pin drops and goes, wow, that's that's where I am right now. Yes. you know. But you said something very interesting through this conversation is that love is at the core of both both states of these relationships. So whether you're the giver and the survivor who's always kind of wanting to give more in the relationship and you're that victim, or if you're the narcissist, which probably no narcissist listening to this, but if you are the narcissist, you know, again, something that really shocked me during this is that actually love is at the core of that. Yes. And it's not
1: an and it's not an available love. It's mm. a love that's seen as a, a lack. It, it's very lacking. It's this striving to either manipulate and take it or to prove that you are lovable. Mm. And we could we could say that what well, they work in tandem together because would narcissism exist if it wasn't for the givers that allow or, or enable those behaviours? Right. So, you know, this is a, a little bit of a, a dangerous word, but it can be a little bit codependent. They need
0: one another. Mm-hmm. Well, right. that, but yes, at the core of it all, you're absolutely right, is love. How? What would happen if two narcissists got together? Mm-mm, not going to happen. It, it wouldn't happen. Really. <laughs> but, it just that just came to my mind because I was like, actually, it is a, it is a codependency thing because... As we said, you know, with a relationship and, and, and with a parent, if you can, that's mm-hmm. always possible. it's important to cut that completely no contact to actually mm-hmm. get over that relationship. And that's true that any time that they actually probably give up is when you say no, it's enough. But mm-hmm. until that point now, they'll always be there. And it's again, it is that codependency. that's That's really, that's really interesting. But then if two narcissists get together, it just wouldn't work. Well, they're going to clash, right, because they're going to be constantly
1: competing for the upper hand. So it's either going to be a very, um, (laughs) let me just go back a step, sorry. It's either going to be that it just doesn't happen because neither of them can get the upper hand, or it's going to be a very fractious, very explosive relationship whereby they're competing to have the superiority over the other one
0: if you are in a relationship with a narcissist and you're listening to this and you're thinking there's so many good times of that relationship. And I do really love that person. You know, can you actually have a happy and fulfillment relationship with a narcissist or is it actually, no, just you need to get out.
1: It's, it's very difficult because ultimately the narcissist isn't going to change. Probably they they don't Mm -hmm. have the ability to introspect. They don't have the ability to look at themselves It's too painful. So if, so obviously if there's children involved, it's going to be very difficult to just go, I'm going to cut off from this relationship. But what I can say is perhaps you need to adjust your expectations. You can't change them. You can start to work on changing yourselves. You can start to look at what impact that this might be having on children. Right. Because you don't want them to then go on to, to recreate these patterns. But I've I've known people that've been in relationships with narcissists for for twenty years even even more, but it's always because they're waiting for it to go back to that point where it's really good,
0: and it never comes. It never comes, or it comes, but it's transient.
1: It doesn't last. Mm. It comes because the narcissist feels like it, or they're trying to confuse you. Let's say you've had a massive argument, you come back and they're completely fine. In fact, they're quite happy, right? it's because it's then denying that that argument ever happened.
0: So to kind of round this up, you know, what does a really good, healthy relationship look like?
1: Well, that's the ultimate question, isn't it? And -hmm. I think we all need to ask ourselves what that looks like.
0: Have you ever heard of
1: the uh, five love languages?
0: Yes, I've done it. And I am, what am I? Touch and acts of service and touch.
1: Right. So I think going into a healthy relationship, knowing your love languages, knowing your partner's love languages is a really good way of building that connection.
0: Can we explain what the love languages are? So I just obviously went and put mine in, but there's five different ones, isn't there?
1: There's five different ones. There is physical touch, acts of service, words, um, oh my gosh, gifts, and what's the other one? Time. Quality time. Oh yes, quality time. So when you're so this is a really good example. When you first meet someone and you're in the initial stages of dating, you wake up in the morning and one person jumps up, goes out, buys coffee, buys breakfast, buys everything. And the person that's left behind goes, Where have they gone? They they obviously don't like me because they can't wait to get out of bed from they can't wait to get away from me. But that person is trying to show them their love language i'm going to provide for you i'm going to feed you this is how i show you my love but the person that's left might be thinking my love language is touch and time so they've rejected that but if you have an understanding of what one another's languages are it can really help to build a healthy relationship
0: I I found that out a few years ago, the love languages. And actually, I find it really interesting. I always do say when you meet someone, you should definitely go on and see what each other's langu- love languages are. 100%
1: definitely. It's a really good way of starting a healthy communication and understanding of one another.
0: I guess the underlining kind of take home from this is that a healthy relationship is one that communicates and it's very hard to communicate with a narcissist.
1: Absolutely. 100%
0: yeah i think and if you knowledge. don't if
1: you haven't had an experience of a healthy relationship perhaps therapy is a way to start that because it, if it's done right if it's done with the right person if it's, it's the right fit then it's a very secure and healthy and safe attachment relationship
0: mm. yeah i feel like i'm going to ask you to do another podcast all about attachment styles because i think that okay. is so interesting but, but that is, that's have definitely you read enough. the book attached no
1: it's the best book on attachment. It's so easy, so accessible. It's called Attached and it's by Levine, I think.
0: Oh, amazing. Well, I should definitely read that and then see if we can do another podcast following up because I think everyone has such different attachment styles. And I think, you know, there is, I was saying to somebody the other day, you know, to to be codependent, you know, there's that everyone's codependent in some way. But it's Mm -hmm. how extreme that codependency is. And that's when you can see if actually it's a problematic codependency relationship or not. Because we're all human beings. We all need some kind of security and social attachment. Um, But I think the extreme end of codependency is when it can get, you know, quite problematic in a relationship. It's
1: really nice to be able to depend on another person, right? It doesn't have to be codependent. sounds so bad, doesn't it? But actually we are built to connect with other people to be with other people it's, mm-hmm. it's fundamental to us we just have to learn if we haven't had that experience growing up you have to learn how to do that in a healthy way
0: completely so Sorry. i think a, a, an important part of, of this as well is a lot of parts of our relationships is looking at yourself and your inner self and doing that work as well as opposed to constantly analyzing the relationship is also important to kind of self-reflect and look at your own style within that relationship
1: that's the that's the attachment to yourself so
0: mm-hmm. perhaps
1: being in a relationship with a narcissist is a really bad thing that's happened but let's say something good comes out of it let's say you learn about yourself and therefore you can therefore you can go on to create really healthy happy relationships
0: yeah absolutely so lastly Louise before I, before you go yes. um can I ask how you live well and how you be well yourself
1: (laughs) well I am a psychologist so I'm very good at the advice obviously (laughs) I personally the the thing that works for me the most is meditation Mm. I really find it makes a difference on a day-to-day basis the the way that I feel is very dependent on my meditation it's a practice but it didn't come naturally to me I have a very very busy very curious mind but you to Mm. slow it down to be able to just take that time to go inwards to work on my breathing to visualize to do to do lots of things like that is being the the best tool for me
0: yeah I think meditation so it's so fundamental isn't it and it's talked about a lot but even mindfulness, even if you struggle with the first part of meditation, just being more mindful that's a
1: great start, absolutely. We mm. I mean, also I go to therapy as therapists, we go to therapy, so that yeah, you a really have good. to,
0: mm-hmm. you definitely have to. yeah, because I mean, you're obviously having everyone's problems,
1: you're absorbing <laughs> problems all the time, so you, you have to
0: talk to someone as well. Even your dog is absorbing the problems, from what I've heard. That <laughs> it's, it's Louise spoke, um. Louise specializes in fertility as well, which we'll definitely do another podcast on. But um, Louise has a Daxon. Now, anyone who knows me very well or has followed me for a while knows I'm, I have an obsession with Daxons. And I was thrilled to know that you have a Daxon, one year old, who was also having phantom pregnancies as well. Well, yeah, part of my
1: job is to help work on psychological bro- blocks around pregnancy. And then my dog had three phantom pregnancies. <laughs> so there's something in energy she's absorbing some energy
0: well if she gets pregnant and it's a real true pregnancy then you have to let me know so you I can, can have, have a puppy perfect great <laughs> the perfect therapy that's that is for me the perfect therapy it's a dog it is there's mm.
1: nothing better in the world well this may be a healthy relationship nothing better than the world when you come home and your dog greets you that's love right yeah. that's unconditional
0: unconditional love, love. that's the yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really important. Oh, what a great way to end the podcast on Daxons. Perfect. Didn't think it would end on a Daxon comment. It but should it did. always
1: end on a Daxon. <laughs> it should always end on a Daxon comment.
0: That's how I definitely know you can't be a narcissist because you like Daxons. So I think nobody oh, who likes Daxon. That's enough. the new test. Stick. I think that's that's how it should be defined in the v 5 Finally. We'll get to that <laughs> on that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming that's on. Funny. Thank it's you. Been really enjoyable. I'm so pleased. What an interesting episode that was with Dr. Louise. I really hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you found something helpful within our conversation. And if you did, I really do urge you to get more support and help regarding it. If you'd like to find out more about the BeWire Collective, please do head to our Instagram at be underscore well underscore collective. And if you could leave us a review, we would be absolutely thrilled to know what you guys think about this podcast and how much you are enjoying it. It means a lot and it helps us get the podcast out there to more listeners and more viewers. And until next week, I hope you all live well and be well.